Well, let's see. We're still in Second Peter. I guess we're going to be there a little while, but we've got a couple words we're going to take up today. In verse 6, we'll finish verse 6. If you want to turn there, we'll read a few verses. Let's read all the first six and show us, see where we've been and what we're up to. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. And to knowledge temperance, there's where we were last week, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness is where we'll be this morning. Let's bow our heads just a moment. Father, as we approach thy word and have our hearts blessed and, and excited even by reading it, we ask that thou will bless this waiting people by them receiving a greater knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our mission anytime we preach anytime we teach is that thy people will learn more about Christ. And this morning we ask thy spirit to give us guidance and understanding, open hearts, give people a sound, reasonable knowledge of the things of eternity, the things about their own soul, the glorious things about Christ the Redeemer. We pray in his precious name, amen. We're approaching a particular virtue or a subject this morning that a lot of us make jokes about. You know how they say uh, tribulation worketh patience? Well, forget the patience then. Who wants the tribulation? You know, me and Miss Donna, we say that all the time at school. Uh-oh, you need patience. Yeah, well, we don't need this tribulation. No, let's just skip the whole thing. Uh, that's man by nature. Uh, we're going to find that the virtue of patience is difficult for it has to do with tribulation and suffering. It has to do with the taming of the heart or another way to express it, the taming of the old nature. When you train a tiger and get him subdued and doing all those cute little tricks, you still keep him in a cage. Because you have labored hard with him to make him gentle, you still can't let him out of the cage. And that's why we go to circuses. We like to see these huge, ferocious beasts, so docile, so tame, so can, doing all these tricks, rolling over on their backs and jumping up on stools and even opening their mouth and the trainer puts his head in there, all those little things. Does that mean their nature has changed? Not a bit. Not a bit. And that's the story of your own heart. Now, Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful 
above all things, desperately wicked. Now, you can take that to the bank. That's fact. Now, to learn patience is to learn something foreign to that old nature of ours. Patience consists not only in bearing injuries, but in forgiving injuries. They say an elephant never forgets. Does he forgive? I never heard that expression. An elephant forgives. Uh-uh. He don't forget. And it's the same with all of the animal world and all of the human world. People don't forgive. Now, a Christian may live without doing wrong, but he cannot live without receiving wrong. Turn to 2 Timothy 3.12. Let's see what we're talking about. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a difficult scripture for some of us. Because we say, well, I really can't see in my life where I have suffered any persecution. But you know, it says all that will live godly. What makes a difference? Well, a godly person keeps their nose out of worldly things. And therefore, they're going to make fun of them. And that's persecution, even being called names. You see, Peter, Peter describes that just exactly like that in 1 Peter 4.4, 4, where he says, wherein they think it's strange that ye run not with them to the same excessive riot, speaking evil of you, speaking evil of you, because you don't go and party anymore, because you're not a part of the crowd that sits around and drinks and watches ball games and all that kind of thing. You're not a part of that. You know why? Because their conversation has nothing at all to do with the Lord Jesus Christ except to use his name in cursing. You don't tell anybody or even talk with them in your worldly places. Hey, did you? how did you like this over there in the book of James? Or what do you think about this, this verse in Romans? Or the Bible teaches that we should do this and that, and that the Lord Jesus Christ did no sin, and yet he suffered the righteous for the unrighteous. Anything, you think that conversation would go over with any of those people? Not at all. They're not the least bit interested, and they're going to speak evil of you. They're going to say, hey, you're off your rocker. You're nuts. That's suffering persecution, believe it or not. That's how to be godly. Have a godly conversation. Speak of spiritual things. Let your conversation be in heaven. That's just the teachings of the Bible. John 16, Let's see what that says now about persecution. I know what the Lord says there. He said, hey, if you're in the world, you're going to suffer persecution. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. 
And you know, there's no peace like being at peace with your conscience and at peace with the Lord. If you haven't made peace with God, you are in trouble, whether you know it or not. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So who can be against you? Who can say anything to really hurt you? Oh, it hurts your feelings. Hurt your feelings awfully bad. But what can they do to you? Not a thing. And then there's another scripture so many times, several times the Lord says, uh, fear not them that can just kill the body. You know, they might get so aggravated at you, they'd kill you. He said, but you better fear him that after he hath killed the body can cast it into hell. That's the fear of God. All right, we have another one. Acts 16.22, when the apostles were gathering together, saying, there's, there's one thing that's for sure. There's one thing that's for sure. Oh, I've got the wrong scripture on that one. Now, how did I mess that up? Must be close by. I couldn't have missed it that far. It's not 16. Could it 14? Yeah, okay, 14. When you're reading Roman numerals and putting them down, sometimes you put the, uh, the I on the wrong side of the Z and all that kind of thing, but it's 1422. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. Well, what kind of tribulation do they have in mind? I want to show you what kind of tribulation they were talking about. Go back up there to verse 19. Here's the Apostle Paul preaching. The greatest of the Gentile preachers ever. What happens to him? And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people... And having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Hey, I'll tell you a little secret. He was dead. You know why? People don't make mistakes stoning people. They pile the stones up on top of them so that there would be no breath left. They smash their head. They smash their face. When they stone somebody to death... There's a vengeance in them and a hatred for the gospel that they make sure they're dead. And they dragged him out. You know what? The Lord brought him back. The Lord brought him back. Was he injured? Well, let's look at the next verse or two. Howbeit, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up, came into the city, and next day departed with Barnabas to Derby. And then when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and Iconium, where he was stoned, now where these Jews had come from, and Antioch. He went back to the place where the Jews had come from who stoned him, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them, exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. Did Paul have tribulation? You better believe it. Stoned him. 
He tells a little bit about that stoning over in Corinthians, I think, where he says, hey, I remember a fellow back there 14 years ago. I don't know if he was in his body or out, but he was taken up to the third heaven. That's, that's when Paul went to that third heaven. That's when he saw things that words couldn't even express. You see, Paul was a, 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 a fanatic preacher. He was, a, he, didn't, he was trying to die. He wanted to get out of here. He preached and he preached. He went to jails. He did everything under the sun to end his life preaching. Lord said, oh, I'm not sure what you did. <laughs> Back down. Got another job for you to do. You keep on preaching until I say it's time for you to come up here. Yeah, Paul was a fanatic preacher. Wonderfully fanatic. You know, every one of God's people are fanatics. They're fanatics for Christ. So, so you're called a fanatic? Rejoice and be happy couldn't say a better thing about you than that you're a fanatic. You have to be. You have to be self-centered in order to come to Christ. You don't care about anybody else, what happens to anybody else, their fortunes, their losses, whatever. You can't weep for anybody else. You've got to weep for yourself, like the song says. Get to Christ. Then it changes. Then you care for everybody and anybody. Strange what the new birth will do. John 17, 14. Let's see what that says. So I have given them thy word. Now this is the Lord Jesus Christ praying and he's saying, Father, I have, I have given your people, my people, thy word. I've given them thy word. And the world hath hated them. Even as I am, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Well, what's, so bad about God's people having the word because when they speak about the word speak about the Lord Jesus Christ who is the living word people get offended they don't like it and so there's a natural hatred by every normal human heart no matter how high or high low in life they can be a, an official in the government or on the supreme court or they can be a beggar on the street it makes no difference the same heart attitude prevails about the Lord Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in their heart. We will not have this man to rule over us. That's the whole attitude of the whole world. So it makes no difference how low or how high a person is, they still are going to hate God's people because of God's word. It's as simple as that. One of the characteristics of God's people, they love the word. That's how you can tell the difference between people. You can't tell them, well, that's next message. I'm sorry, I got that in my next message. Galatians 6.14. Don't want to ruin the 11 o'clock hour here. Galatians 6.14. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You see, in all of this, starting even with verse 11, put on the whole armor of God because of tribulation. He says it's coming. You're going to have to stand like a knight in armor, have all portions protected because the assaults are going to come. If you're going to live godly in the Lord Jesus Christ or even mention his name, you are going to receive assaults from the enemy. 
we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's outside. Your worst enemy is inside. That's your heart. That's your heart. Okay? Now, the way to heaven is a rough way. So Paul gives us a piece of armor for our feet. You see, that's in verse 15. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You're on your way to heaven. You're on the narrow way. You're on the road. But the gospel of peace has to do with patience. Has to do with patience. Even knowing that vengeance belongeth to God, we still have need of patience. You see, people are so fiery. They, they, want, they want to strike back. They always want to get even. God's word teaches Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Leave it in the Lord's hands. But even with that, with that knowledge, the Bible still says you need patience. I want you to look at it. Hebrews 10. Look at verse 30. Hebrews 10 and verse 30. Now when we get to verse 36, is where he says you're going to need patience. But look at here. For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance of former days, in which after ye were illuminated. You see how the scriptures tie in from one end of this book to the other? Illumination is awakening. When the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ finally penetrates the heart or the mind or the eyes of the understanding, after ye were illuminated, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. Partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Here were people that had their homes wiped out, their families separated, their goods taken because of a Christian profession, because of the gospel that Paul preached. Verse 35, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Your reward's in heaven. But here we go, verse 36. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Now, in this chapter 11 of Hebrews, it's called a faith chapter, and it tells the lives of so many of God's people who with patience, Long time patience, a lifetime of patience and suffering still did not receive the promise. Isn't that something? And they're called saints. God's great people. Chapter 11 is God's greatest heroes. They did not receive the promise because time wasn't up yet. 
It's getting close, though. Very close. Then Hebrews 12.8. While you're in Hebrews, turn over one more page. Hebrews 12.8. Start with verse 6. Oh, verse 5. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the, Lord, whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, wherefore all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Now this chastening or chastening frees us from being bastards. No, let's say it secures us and frees us for adoption. This is a terrible thing to be calling everybody a bastard. This is a Bible word. It means those who are without chastening or scourging. Isn't that something? Did you ever think of it that way? No, the world has its own definition. But unbelievers are bastards, believe it or not. If you're without chastisement, that's what the Scripture says. Now, most often our tribulations arise from our own sins. But to suffer unjustly, this is patience. Turn to 1 Peter 2.20. 1 For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. So you make a mistake, you goof up. You have to suffer. Sometimes you get away without, without anybody knowing it. But say you break the law, you're caught, and you have to suffer. And it says, and you take it patiently. What good is that? It's justly deserved. You get no credit whatsoever for taking your own faults and suffering for them patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. And that's patience. That's patience because patience, we're going to find out, is tied to godliness. It has to do with doing things unto the Lord, not unto yourself. Now, there's a description of God's people in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 2. Let's say, what kind of a description could that be over there? I want to show you. We live in a world that has a hatred for God's people. And did they just discover that uh, recently? No, Song of Solomon, old... King Solomon is going to tell us about it. 2-2. Two, two. Uh, I got 10-24. Yours is going to be about 10-16, something like that. As the lily among the thorns. 
That's quite a description, isn't it? That's God's people. That's the bride of Christ. As the lily among thorns. Now, you know there's no thorns around lilies at all. There are around roses. But it doesn't say as the roses among thorns. It's completely out of its environment. As the lily among thorns. Now, Romans 7.21 tells us to overcome evil with good. That's not a natural thing for people to do. Romans 7.21 I find then a law when I would do good evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. The Christian, with his old nature, is always fighting that that's within. Yet that other new nature within is always victorious in the end. Sometimes it seems like you go down so far and there's no rising back up. But he that is with you is greater than he that is without. But it's sin that dwelleth in a person. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, this better had say it clearer than that last one did. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 See that none render evil for evil unto any man. You see, that does away with this eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth bit. You see, people can quote that part of Scripture. They say, oh yeah, I know. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, that's how we live. No, it's not. That's not how God's people are to live. It says, see that none render evil for evil unto any man. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. You know what they're going to say? You're a sissy. You're a wimp. You're a coward. You're yellow. Let them say all them things. It makes no difference who you please, and them or God. If you can even please yourself, knowing that it's what God's Word says, you have the richest, most wonderful feeling inside you ever believe, though you've walked away from a fight, though you've walked away from an argument, though you have taken the blame and let them go. Just the different characteristics between God's people and the rest of the world. The knowledge of peace in heaven is the soul of patience. And how do we obtain peace in heaven? Well, by having our sins put away. Look at Psalm 32.1. Psalm 32.1. Miss Icky, you can't put your Bible down because we're going to keep on using it. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That's the most wonderful thing that can happen to an individual. 
when the Lord saves them. Because that's what salvation is all about, having your sins forgiven. If you never get your sins forgiven, you're going to just crash hell wide open when you die. Every person who has a, one sin remaining upon them will go to hell. Now, I'm not making this up. This is what God's Word is teaching. That's what makes preaching and teaching so great because I have an authority. I can't be wrong. I'm showing it to you in the book. Every sin of yours, past, present, and future, has got to be forgiven. And it can be only forgiven by the great mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who shed his blood to pay for the sins of his elect. Uh-oh, bad word, elect. Only all of us love it here. We know what elect means. It means that we have received grace with no merit whatsoever on our part except a tremendous heap of sin. That's all we ever had to show for ourselves. That's what election is. God picking out a sinner to save him. But not just picking him out during this life and weighing his good and his bad. He picked him out back in eternity. Before there ever was an earth, he knew the name of every individual he's going to die for. That's love. That's election. Now, sin makes a burden heavy. Take that sin away and we can walk upright. Sin makes the grave a dark dungeon. And when sin is forgiven, makes the grave a perfumed bed of rest. Sin shows the devil horrible and God a severe judge. Let the gospel remove that sin and God is our father and the devil his slave and he is our defeated foe. That's the difference in the in the, in the gospel and in being a normal person. Now, another thing about sufferings and patience is that sufferings do have an end. Sooner or later, this life is over. It's not a bed of roses. It's a bed of happiness. Knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, you're always joyful and happy in your own heart regardless of the most horrible circumstances that can happen in your life. You're really a double person. You can rejoice in a terrible circumstance because you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know that nothing happens to you but what passes by the throne of his mercy and grace. Other people don't look at it like that. But that's the way God's people look at it. And that's what they know. That's knowing God's will. Turn to Luke 16, 25. I want to show you that sufferings come to an end. And then what happens? Luke 16, 25. Here was a rich man, lived all, oh, lived a great, scrumptious life, <clears throat> had everything. Mercedes Benz, a couple stables full of horses, great big castle, had everything going for him great. He dies. Where does he go? He crashes hell just as soon as he closes his eyes and stops breathing. So what happens to him? Well, let's read verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. Lazarus, the poor beggar, whom the Lord saved, not because he was a beggar. He has a lot of work that had been done in his life to get him to come to Christ. See, that you don't see. 
You don't see him moaning and groaning and crying unto the Lord, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. You don't see that in this particular story, but it took place, or else he wouldn't have been there. He suffered evil things, and the time finished. Sooner or later, this time of suffering ends. But now he is comforted. And thou, O Mr. Rich Man, art tormented. I hate to hear about anybody being tormented. I would love to have seen the rich man hear the gospel, repent, and come to Christ. But it's not like that. It's soon over. So Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, and 7. What does he say there? 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, and 7. I never write these scriptures out because I want to turn to them. If I just read them, nobody would turn to them. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, and 7. He says, okay, and to you who are troubled, you who are being persecuted, you who are being humiliated because of your conversation in Christ, rest with us when the lord jesus christ shall be when the lord jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not god and that obey not the gospel of our lord jesus christ you think anybody out there is going to get away with something not at all there's not one sinner living on the face of this earth that's going to get away with one single thing that was contrary to God's holiness and that especially has to do with persecuting God's people that's what Paul's talking about rest with us and you who are troubled rest oh yeah I'm not saying your trouble's going to leave but the day's coming when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back from heaven and will take vengeance upon everybody upon the face of this earth who doesn't know him that's scary and you know when that's going to be it's right around the corner it's in your and my lifetime and I'm getting pretty old I'm getting to the point where there's not a very many years where I could say I'm going to live to this and that age but it's still in my lifetime I'm expecting the Lord to come back while I'm living Jacob served seven years for his wife Rachel. Shall not we serve longer for our dear husband Jesus Christ? Now that was patience. And yet it said it seemed but a couple of days. That was the love he had for Rachel. And Rachel didn't die for him. Rachel didn't forgive his sins just merely flesh and bone with some pretty color painted upon it to make it beautiful and it took Jacob's heart and here's the Lord Jesus Christ who had his heart pierced and his blood ran out for us that's love we should bear patiently for his sake James 5 7 says something about being patient let's turn there a second James 5 7 be patient therefore brethren for how long unto the coming of the Lord well that's simple isn't it 
Just hold out, be patient. Now, it doesn't say, it doesn't say here, he that endures to the end, enduring and having patience can be two different things. But in this dispensation, this dispensation of grace, where works are not involved in what has to do with your final salvation. See, it's not saying he that endures to the end shall be saved. God's people are saved immediately when he reveals himself to their heart. They are saved eternally. There is no falling away, falling out, losing it, or anything like that in this dispensation. When the Lord saves an individual, they're saved. But he says, be patient. All trouble's coming. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Look for that. You may die before that, but then others following in behind, they're going to be patient, looking for the Lord to come. Christ is our example. Suffered patiently for us. Remember that scripture in Isaiah 53, 7, like a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. 1 Peter 2.21, turn over there while we're close back there. 1 Peter 2.21 For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Now that is difficult. We've had that in our lesson before and when we were in 1 Peter and to follow his steps, it's a nice thing to shoot at, but you're not going to make it. For one thing, verse 22 says, who did no sin and neither was guile found in his mouth. Well, where does that put us? We do lots of sin. We've got lots of guile in our mouth and there's guile in our heart and we're a, a living picture of the fall of Adam. When Adam fell, he died spiritually, so did we, and here's where we are. we living in the world in a body of flesh and blood, and flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Strange, isn't it? That's why your body has to be changed to go up in the rapture. You say, you know, I think if I make it okay, all you'd have to do is give me good health and keep the same body. No. Flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God, but flesh and bone will. There will not be a drop of blood in your resurrected body. Godliness is the pillar of patience. Here we go with godliness, and I think we're going to run out of time. I really do. It, it cannot stand without it. True patience cannot be held by a reprobate. A reprobate cannot have true patience because he's not godly. Godliness teaches a man patience. Tribulations are the marks of Christ, but then they must be born for Christ. This is the end of our creation, the beginning of our salvation, and the perfection of our happiness. Godliness. God, the true God, is due religious worship. 
There are several kinds of worship that aren't right. Heresy serves the true God with a false worship. Idolatry serves false gods with a true worship. Both are wrong and both hateful. But here's true worship. Turn over to Philippians 2.10, and I think we'll close. Philippians 2.10. This Bible class hour really did fly. That at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is such a great truth that it is in the Scriptures three times. It's in Isaiah 45, verse 23, and again in Romans 14:11. Christ is God. The man, Christ Jesus, is God and shall be worshipped. And then if, in John 8.36, is our last scripture, John 8.36, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And if godliness make you rich, you shall never be poor. Let's close and bow our heads. Father, we thank Thee for this morning hour. As fleeting as it was, we talked about our Lord Jesus Christ and His gift to His people of patience and godliness. Lord, make us more like Thyself. Bless this people. May they have learned more about our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray in the name of, of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, yeah.